You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. I personally approve the decision to seek a search warrant in this matter. They took my passport. They took things that they should have never taken. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. While higher interest rates, slower growth, and softer labor market conditions will bring down inflation, they will also bring some pain to households and businesses. I think that talking tough is part of monetary policy. So we're going to do a close approach to the moon. We'll only be about 60 miles from the surface. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The Mar-a-Lago affidavit shows highly classified documents were in the house and led to the search. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics with more than 30 pages to comb through here, most of them with redactions. Will the release cause even more confusion? We're joined by an expert today, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin, with his insights. Jay Powell drops the hammer in Jackson Hole, but does he mean what he says? We'll read between the lines coming up with Bloomberg's Joe Weisenthal later on this hour. And we'll talk about it all with the panel, Bloomberg Politics contributor and Republican strategist Rick Davis today, joined by Democratic strategist Max Burns, founder of Third Degree Strategies. So we have the affidavit, total of 38 pages, uh, most of them redacted. Uh, and when I say redacted, you know, a lot of them full page, just, you know, black lines. Uh, so, yeah, it leaves a lot to the imagination. But it's clear the former president had some of the most classified defense and intelligence material, some intercepted foreign communications, uh, intelligence gathered by American spies sitting in boxes at Mar-a-Lago. The special agent who wrote the report, his name, her name, redacted, uh, describes an investigation prompted by the discovery of hundreds of pages of classified documents in 15 boxes recovered by the National Archives earlier in the year. 25 of them labeled top secret. It shows the archives and federal agents repeatedly asking for documents to be returned. This went on for months. The former president reacts on his social media site today, calling it a total public relations subterfuge. And well, I guess he made similar comments before the release uh, on uh, Lou Dobbs podcast. He's got a podcast, don't you? Uh, Here's Donald Trump talking to Lou Dobbs. They could have come in and they could have talked to us and they could have taken whatever they needed. But instead, they raided it. They took my passports. They they took things that they should have never taken with uh, that are privileged. And it's a disgrace to our country. 
Let's talk more about what we learned today with Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor and former special counsel to Robert Mueller while at the Justice Department. It's been a great asset to this program, helping us understand uh, all of this so far. Michael, welcome back. What did you see today in, in this, albeit heavily redacted, release that, that might have changed your view of the case? The thing that struck me was the very first sentence of the affidavit where it says, the government is conducting, meaning it's ongoing, a criminal investigation concerning the improper removal and storage of classified information in unauthorized spaces, as well as the unlawful concealment or removal of government records, those records containing highly classified documents. So there is an ongoing criminal investigation into the removal and concealment of these documents and that the identities of the persons who may have removed or retained these documents is what's under under review. So yeah. what I learned principally is that this is not solely focused on Donald Trump, if at all, but if rather also all. his minions, mm-hmm. all the people who were responsible for the removal of and concealment of these documents. So this could be a much broader investigation, which means if Donald Trump is a subject, then there are many, many more people who could have exposure who may in turn be willing to cooperate. This is partly then why, if if, if we can go down that road a little bit further, then I'm assuming you, you, you would think that's why they got the surveillance tapes from Mar-a-Lago. They subpoenaed the, the video surveillance back in June to see who was coming and going from these areas where these boxes were stored. Exactly, because they have an investigation here that also contains a thread of obstruction. So they want to know who may have not only obtained, retained, concealed, but then obstructed the investigation. Mm-hmm. And those videotapes of who moved things around would put potentially knowledge of their existence in their heads. And so when, for example, a lawyer for Trump writes a letter to the Justice Department and saying there are no more classified documents here, and that turns out not to be true. Right. If that person was seen on the video in and around those documents that had classification markings on them, well, that's telling evidence of a false statement. This could be damaging uh, just to Trump's legal team if if no one else, right? I mean, if based on statements like that and the letter that was attached to this affidavit from uh, Donald Trump's lawyer uh, telling the Justice Department to be careful, essentially not to play with politics, this could be uh, damaging to their careers. Absolutely. And we see this over and over in the January 6th investigation, for example, who are the people that are under the microscope of the Justice Department, but two Justice Department attorneys who have theoretically promising careers ahead of them. But Jeffrey Clark and the other fellow whose name I'm forgetting at the moment are both subjects of the inquiry. One of them is said to be cooperating, but there not only is their life in you know freedom at stake, but their livelihood is at stake. And so yes. when that's the case, they become rich targets for cooperation. So 67 documents marked as confidential. This is in the 15 boxes taken in uh, January. 67 documents confidential, 92 marked as secret, 25 labeled top secret. And there are a number of different designations here, including uh, some that apparently had intelligence from foreign eavesdropping. Uh, We heard earlier reports that there were so-called 
nuclear documents. Could these also include those? If there were nuclear documents, the one thing that's important that under the Atomic Energy Act, I think 54 and 1946, Mm -hmm. the president does not have unilateral authority to declassify. So any claim that he's making that these documents were declassified, there's no evidence that he did declassify them, but assuming that evidence is found, if it relates to any of these nuclear programs, then he lacks the legal authority to declassify them. And so if he possessed them, they exist in their classified state, and retaining classified documents in an unsecure location violates these statutes. So we saw individuals who have been prosecuted for this over and over, um, and getting on the low end, Petraeus, uh, getting two years probation and a $100,000 fine for improper retention to uh, Chinese scientists getting nine years in prison for the illegal and improper retention. The affidavit reads, uh, there is probable cause to believe that documents containing classified national defense information, DNI, and presidential records remain at the premises. This, of course, again, was making the case for the search. This is what they were looking for. When we consider national defense information, that in itself being in an insecure location at a resort uh, that is hosting uh, foreign dignitaries presents a very... uh, dangerous situation. Exactly. And that's why I think you see the espionage statute being used. That one section of the espionage statute that was referenced in the affidavit in the search warrant is that which requires only gross negligence in the handling of these NDI documents. Mm -hmm. They don't have to be classified. They can be just national security related documents. And if you are grossly negligent in the way you handle them, you violate this statute. And it appears from what's in the public record already that there was some gross negligence in the handling of these records. And so, again, I say whomever touched these documents has potential liability uh, for violating the statutes that are in question here. And to your point, that may not be someone named Donald Trump. Uh, we understand, and, and I'm really trying to see this from both sides here, uh, that that a lot of these documents were, were just kind of randomly thrown in boxes with unrelated items. Is there a chance Donald Trump had no idea that any of this was at Mar-a-Lago? That would be a defense that if I were his attorney, I would want to raise, which was which is to say, look, for better or for worse, my client believed that he was going to remain president for a second term. And he held that belief until the last minute. When that belief was not realized, they quickly packed up the boxes and fled, you know, sort of like the movie Home Alone, where the <laughs> alarms go off late and they pack up hurriedly and left leave the, the kid behind. Right. And so maybe that's the defense that I raised, that this was not intentional. It was perhaps negligent, but not intentional. But the failure to respond not... over months in returning this becomes its own problem. This is why we have an active criminal investigation, right? Exactly. And if you look at the timeline here, what you see in the affidavit is they start talking with him, Soon after he moves the documents on January the 20th of of 2021, 15 boxes are retrieved on the 18th of January. Mm -hmm. They request records in May. 
and they they'll go down and visit in June. Yeah, this this basically and, lasted the year to date. Exactly, it's a it's a long time, and it's a very solicitous um, Justice Department and National Archives in their dealings with Trump. So to call this a, a raid is mm. is really not accurate. They had a discussion that ultimately, in the end. DOJ says, look, you have these documents. They're not in a secure location. They contain the highest level of classification, and we just got to come and get them. We're sorry. Yeah. Enough talk Here we are. for us to protect the national security, and we're going to go get them. So, Michael Zeldin, was it worth releasing this, despite all the redactions? I think so. I think that it's worth it from the standpoint of understanding that this was not just sort of a, a spur of the moment. Let's go down there and search a former president's house and see how that turns out. But rather, this was the end game of a year-plus-long negotiation for documents that were yeah. highly classified and which threatened, in theory, national security. Appreciate the insights, as always. Now that we've had a couple of hours to digest it, great insights from Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor, former special counsel to Robert Mueller, while at the Department of Justice. We turn this to the panel next. In the political side of all of this, was it worth that, or did it just confuse the matter even more? Rick Davis is coming up with us, joined today by Max Burns of Third Degree. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The headline on the terminal, Trump's stash at Mar-a-Lago included highly classified documents. Indeed, the image uh, inside the story says a lot with pages upon pages of black boxes. Yes, heavily redacted. What did I have before is 24 of the 32 pages with these items uh, had at least some redactions and, and a lot of them were just the full page just just big black page uh, i'm joe matthew in washington on what has been quite a day with the affidavit the redacted affidavit unsealed in somewhat awkward fashion didn't come out early right at noon these sealed documents hit the trump docket and a lot of reporters had to call to get him to actually unseal the thing it was after long afternoon by the time we actually saw them let's assemble the panel rick davis is here of course republican strategist bloomberg politics contributor joined today by democratic strategist max burns founder of third degree strategies 
Max, it's great to have you back. Rick, we've been talking about this uh, for days, looking forward to it. Uh, what was the item in this paperwork that raised your eyebrow? What made this a bigger story? You know, I, I, I agree with what Michael Zeldin just told you earlier in the program, and that was uh, the realization that this concealment and removal of these highly secret documents, you know, all kinds of different things that uh, risk the uh, nation's security um, uh, may have been per perpetrated by just more than Donald Trump, right? We've yeah. all been laser focused on Donald Trump, mm -hmm. but now we realize there are a lot of hands in those boxes. And, and the idea that, um, you know, they had people coming and going and that it wasn't the request that they had uh, to put a lock on the door of the, the, mm -hmm. the storage shelter it was to actually secure the documents, which is a big difference. Yeah. And so uh, it all leads to this sort of interesting obstruction issue, right? Like, why did it take over a year to have this resolved? Mm -hmm. And so to me, that was the fascinating twist to this. And so what I'm looking at is the next step is how many of the staff and lawyers are going to be hiring lawyers to represent mm -hmm. themselves? That's for sure. We could be talking about a lot of people here, uh, Max, and, and it may not even include Donald Trump. I, I mean, it's hard to imagine. Obviously, he was the president and this is his home. Uh, but but a lot of people could have been enriched by the information in those boxes. Give us a sense of that. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And what we've seen from this affidavit, what we have been able to see is a lot of boilerplate. But it does show you that there was probable cause to believe that Donald Trump was not just collecting these documents and failing to return them, but actively obstructing justice in the process. And I think regardless of how much of this is redacted, it was good to get it out. There should be that expectation of transparency. And I don't imagine Donald Trump thinking there was anything in here that was going to go well for him. If anything, it just raises the temperature of how far advanced this investigation is and how extreme uh, we had to to act as a government to get these documents back. Well, look, this could be precedent setting, Rick. Was it worth it from from that standpoint here to to search a former president's home? Does this does this redacted document have the value to make all of this happen? Right? Make releasing this worthwhile? Well, I think as far as uh, understanding what they were looking for and what they probably got. Sure. Right. I mean, we can't let these kinds of things lay around the, the, the regime, the laws that govern our handling of, mm -hmm. you know, secret matters like this. These but kinds you of and I don't necessarily very need to sophisticated. Know about it. Um, we don't need to know about it. But the reality is that a search of a former president's home is unprecedented. Mm -hmm. And in this case, especially considering that the Justice Department already had an active investigation into his conduct around January 6th. Now, you know, we learn that there's an active investigation around these documents and his handling of them. I think it the more we talk about it, the more we have a public conversation about it, the better off we are. And the fact that there were so many lawmakers, including the former president himself, asking for more information from these affidavits. I hope they're happy because from what I can tell, only thing it has done is given us a little bit more information about the sensitive nature of these documents. And I can't believe any right-minded person is going to not be scratching their head going, why in the world would he have these things? Well, that, yeah, that fair enough, Max, though the, uh, the redactions have already given uh, Donald Trump, you know, an area to exploit here as we see him posting on social media, nothing mentioned on nuclear. 
So those reports were obviously not true. He called it a total public relations subterfuge by the FBI and the DOJ fulfilling, uh, you know, that whole narrative. He says we gave them much. Can he use the redactions, Max, to create more confusion around this, if not kind of exploit that to, to raise more money and make himself look more like a victim? Yeah, absolutely. But I think the challenge for Donald Trump right now is that however he plays this as a public relations uh, exercise, there is still this very real legal investigation happening, and he's not going to be able to spin his way out of that because the relevant law enforcement agencies know what's behind those redactions. And it was obviously enough to cause great alarm in the Justice Department. I think to your point, there are many people who are going to be involved in this. The DOJ is looking not just into Trump's role, but into individuals who they they allege were potentially moving documents yeah, right. uh, to, to potentially evade them being seized. So this is definitely a, a play with many actors who are now at risk. You do wonder, you know, how many weddings have taken place within proximity of these documents, Rick? Yeah, I mean, look, this is a beach club. I mean, right. people go there to play golf. They have dinner. You know, they're wandering around. But like if anybody wants to penetrate that that community, it doesn't seem to be very difficult. Rick Davis and Max Burns, our panel today, they're back with more after we talk to Joe Weisenthal. Yeah, the stalwart is coming in on this big Jackson Hole Jay Powell day. Did he mean what he said? We'll talk to Joe next. This is Bloomberg. Jay Powell hit Jackson Hole today with a point to prove, and it only took about eight minutes, as you've been hearing. The speech, of course, live today on Bloomberg. Powell warning investors that higher interest rates are going to be here for some time, and it may not be fun. Here he is. While higher interest rates, slower growth, and softer labor market conditions will bring down inflation, they will also bring some pain to households and businesses. Feeling the pain now with Joe Weisenthal, the co-host of Bloomberg's Odd Lots podcast, is with us. Hey, Joe, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure here uh, as we try to get to the heart of, of the matter and in, in, in what yeah. the chair was was really trying to say. It, it, it reminds me of the old Tony Soprano uh, line that, you know, you want to get people's attention. You want to be the boss. The first thing you do is you walk into a room, you pick the biggest guy and you punch him in the face. Yeah. Did, did Jay Powell do that today? You know what I think was striking on that uh, in that respect was how short his speech was. Right. He walked in and he walked out. He wanted a mic drop. He wanted a mic drop. And, you know, when I read the speech for the, fir- uh, the first time, it's like, okay, there isn't like that much new in here. He, you know, we know that they take inflation very seriously. Right. We know why they take inflation seriously and why it's important for them. But what was interesting was like not much else. They, he didn't talk about, you know, what they had accomplished over the last two and a half years or, uh, you know, the low unemployment rate very much. He's like, we're here to take care of inflation and we're going to do it. And that's all I want to say today. And so I think that, you know, at first when I read the speech, I was like, you know, like there's not like a ton new here. And I think if you just look at the words, there's not. But it's almost, you know, it's a cliche. But it's like what he didn't say. He just didn't mm. feel like talking about anything else. He's there to do the job of quashing inflation via the rate, via the tools that they have, and that's higher rates. So is his job quashing inflation, but also quashing sentiment on Wall Street? I mean, this was sort of yeah, the signal right. to investors lately. You know, Jay Powell shows up and says, no, I'm serious. That's part of the issue, which is that, you know, the Fed, as it said before, works through financial conditions. So mm-hmm. it's not just like the rate goes higher and then, you know, everyone's borrowing costs go up. But then, the, you know, it's like, no, it's like, 
hit, hitting the stock market, hitting the bond market is how the Fed works. And if the stock market is too buoyant, if the bond market is too buoyant, then arguably financial conditions don't tighten and they don't really get the anti-inflation punch that they're looking for. So to some extent, I think you're right. I think it's a message to the markets. It's like he wants them, uh, he kind of wants them to go down and he's wanted that for a while. Imagine all the folks who traveled out there, many of them, of course, with Bloomberg, yeah. you know, eight <laughs> minutes into this thing. What? That's what all the windup was for? You know, there's other central bankers there, <laughs> some course. people presenting speeches and some research. There was a but lot look, of anticipation yeah, yeah. for this speech, though, my God. So, you know, I follow you on Twitter, and I'm always compelled when, when you take uh -huh. the contrarian view on these things. And I, I'm just curious how you're feeling about the Fed at this point, when the idea here is, if we believe sure. the Fed, if we believe the administration, that, you know, it's the pandemic, it's supply chains, it's other global factors. Right. And by the way, we can't control energy prices or right. food. So why are we exactly hiking interest rates to prove that we can go into a recession? Kind of. And there was a really interesting line that Powell said. He's like, look, there are multiple causes of this inflation. There is high demand and there is also curtailed supply, yeah. right? It's, it's both. It's a, it's a mix of things that also you could throw energy into the mix. But then he said, we still have a job to do and we have one tool and that's to curtail demand. So mm. the point is that you could say that there's a multi, uh, multiplicity of factors driving inflation, but as Powell made it clear, that doesn't absolve the Fed of its job to quash inflation. Okay. And even though demand is only part of the story, that's the lever that they control, and so that's what they're going to try to depress. So this is sledgehammer, not scalpel. The Fed doesn't, yeah, I mean, I think the Fed would love to have a scalpel. The yeah. Fed would love to have non-monetary tools. And I think, you know, I don't know, you know, the Fed would love to not uh, crash the job market, but the Fed has the tool it has. You don't think Jay Powell's just talking tough then? You think that he's planning to use that sledgehammer? I mean, look. Or keep using I, it. I think talking tough is part of the tool. And it, it would be, the goal is to not have to. Uh, you sort of hope to cool things, and maybe he looks at the stock market today and is like, yeah, that, that helps. Right. But I think that talking tough is part of monetary policy, and it has been for a long time, ever since, for, you know, for over a decade, talk has been action. It's not that they're distinct, separate things. What they say gets priced in right away. If you look at short-term rates, they're higher today, even though no formal policy action mm -hmm. was taken. So talking tough is sort of acting tough. Maybe that's his scalpel, now that I think about it. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, the the, the Fed would wants to have, you know, the, the Fed only has one tool, and so it wants to be savvy. Mm -hmm. But arguably, the, the you know, it feels like it got burned last year with the transitory talk. It feels like it's been behind the curve and that, you know, each time, you know, the Fed, the Fed has hiked several times this year. But there's always maybe been a little bit of hope that it's like, OK, it's getting close to pivot, whatever mm -hmm. that means. Mm -hmm. And I think at uh, this point, you know, they're, they're out of scalpels. Talk about pivot. What do they say when all the yeah. journalists and everyone else leaves Jackson Hole is like, boy, OK, so I think they bought it. But, mm -hmm. you know, we're ready to start pulling back the minute we start seeing this yeah. job market weaken. Yeah, I mean, that is the question. And, you know, we do have a jobs report a week from today. And so it's easy to talk about pain. Yeah. And it's easy to say, <laughs> look, our focus is inflation. But unemployment is at its lowest level in like 50 years. It hasn't ticked up at all. And in fact, this week, we got initial jobless claims. And they actually ticked back down. They had been going up. And so the labor market remains by the me by the standards it uses, by the, by the measures the Fed looks at, extremely uh, tight and robust. And so... It would be it will be in 
interesting or would be interesting and worrisome if we really started to see clear evidence of recession, right? Mm -hmm. Clear evidence of unemployment picking up in a sustained way. And then we actually have that puzzle. It's like, okay, what do we do now? Or how is the Fed going to navigate here, especially if inflation remains solidly above trend? So was that whole summer rally thing a head fake? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if I if, if I knew, uh, you know, I, w- I, I, I wish I knew. But, you know, the Fed's not done with its job. And I did think it was interesting. I noted this two weeks ago that it's like all it took was about a month worth of rallies and suddenly – the meme stocks started coming back. Yeah. AMC was back in the news. Bed Bath and Beyond was back <laughs> right. in the news. And Adam Newman got a three hundred and fifty million dollars oh, to launch a new real estate startup. So it's like the old, the old uh, animal spirits. Yeah, you guys won't learn. Yes, yeah, like come on, guys. <laughs> like, all right, like I guess we got to have to do this the hard way because you guys didn't get the message the first time. So here we go, slamming on the brakes again. Always love spending time with Joe Weisenthal, yeah, the stalwart and co-host of the Odd Lots podcast. It's great to have you back, Joe. Come again. Thanks for having me. Anytime. All right, man. And we'll reassemble the panel next. Rick Davis with his take on what we heard today. He's here with Max Burns, Democratic strategist. As we look forward as well to the midterm elections coming up and the messaging we heard last night and today from President Joe Biden that MAGA is semi-fascist and it's only August. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. We've been hearing for months and months that inflation will be the number one issue on the campaign trail deciding the midterm elections in November. And hearing from Jay Powell today, and by the way, looking at the White House statement on the inflation data out this morning, it just gives you a sense of the huge urgency behind beating this thing called inflation. Uh, the messaging, though, coming from the president is pushing back pretty hard on the Republican Party, not even with that particular issue. Let's reassemble the panel. Rick Davis is back with us. Max Burns, Democratic strategist, founder of Third Degree Strategies. Rick, of course, Bloomberg politics contributor and Republican strategist. Max, did you hear uh, Joe Biden at the fundraiser last night? He went up the road to Rockville, actually did a fundraiser on the way in Bethesda, went up to Rockville to 
raised some money and, and gave us a real view of what we were in for here. Uh, listen to, to Joe Biden at the rally in Rockville. Guess what? MAGA Republicans don't have a clue about the power of women. Let me tell you something. They are about to find out. Referring, of course, to uh, the Roe v. Wade decision, the Supreme Court, this came only an hour or two, though, after he walked into a tent at a fundraiser in Bethesda, Max, and he referred to to ultra MAGA, as he likes to call it, as as something that is approaching semi-fascism. It is only August here. What are we going to be talking about in October? Well, I think this shows you that there has been a a big boost to not just the White House morale, but to Democrat morale in general uh, since this summer of bipartisan victories. The polling coming out showing that post Dobbs and post uh, in this post row America, that voters are very energized by that and actually are showing up to vote. So there is a swagger, I think, in Joe Biden's step that has not been there. The White House is also getting a little bit uh, sassier on Twitter. And that's right. Calling out Marjorie Taylor Greene. It was very Trumpy, actually, to to see that calling out Marjorie Taylor Greene for loans she had forgiven after criticizing the student loan. But 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 Max, maybe I I should rephrase the question. Why not take credit for all that stuff instead of calling uh, your opponent a, a fascist? Well, I think that he is. And I think that we've seen uh, in elections here in New York just recently with Pat Ryan, that they were very Democrats are now very strongly owning not just the abortion issue, but their effectiveness in Congress and that voters are starting to respond to that. I think because it's not done as as self-consciously as Trump, we're not sending out checks with Joe Biden's signature on them, uh, that people are arguing he's not promoting this. But the White House has planned a very robust sort of barnstorming campaign summer to sell not just that, but the student debt relief and all these other victories to voters. Mm -hmm. And that's where Biden is best. So that's, I think, where he wants to be. You remember the uh, the deplorables, Rick. Uh, Is it the fascists this time? You know, I think that uh, uh, he does be used against him is my point. Yeah, he does stand the risk of, um, you know, being too far out there. Uh, I I honestly don't see the need for it right now when he's got his own agenda to talk about. I mean, obviously, you want to contrast with your opponent out there. But the reality is he's he's got a pretty positive summer and he wants to talk about that. Um, but the reality, too, is he's got work to be done on the economy. We were just talking about what the Fed's doing to try and help with inflation. But, you know, while his overall job approval numbers have gone up, he's still in the basement on the economy and inflation. I mean, you know, 15 points in his own party lower than his job approval and wow. in his own party amongst Democrats. So um, I'm not sure it's time to pivot and engage um, uh, with with Trump. And, and by the way, I'm not sure even engaging on the MAGA issue, right? That's really talking about Donald Trump is just code, yes, right? Yes, of course, yeah. And and so if if he's already tied up with Justice Department investigations, January 6th commission, I mean, like, there are a lot of things driving <laughs> negative messages about Indeed. Donald Trump. Why don't you focus on Republicans? Because the reality is Trump's not on anybody's ballot this time around, and these senators and these House members are, and— I just think he's, you know, shooting above everybody's head right now if this is the way he's going to approach contrast. Max, do you believe the approval numbers that you see, upper 30s, low 40s, depending on the week? And does this need to be a positive campaign for Democrats? I do believe the polls, but I think that this is just evidence that polls are very fickle and that news, you know, can very quickly change the conversation. It's been pretty consistent, though. Yeah. 
It has, but these these most recent polls that are showing him 44, 45 are mm -hmm. reassuring, but not something to bank your midterm strategy on. I see. So I, I will disagree with Rick on one point, is I think it is impossible to talk about the GOP now without talking about Donald Trump. I mean, he is undeniably the party leader and in control of that machine. And so talking about what's going on and the damage Republicans are, are at risk of causing if they win Congress back is not a conversation you have without talking about Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Spending time with Max Burns and Rick Davis, our panel today. If there's something positive happening in the government and you listen to this program, at least from time to time, you know, I frequently point to the space program. It's just one of the things that we tend to do pretty well. And now that we're actually getting it back together and getting a, a, a human spaceflight program back together without using the Russians, there's a lot of exciting stuff happening. It doesn't always include Elon Musk. Uh, granted, he's he's moved us very far ahead here in a very short period of time, but it's the government's opportunity to stand up on Monday at last. This is what we're 50 decades or, or, or 50 years, I should say, five decades after uh, landing on the moon here. NASA is going to launch its most powerful rocket ever on Monday. Have you heard about this thing? It is huge and it's going to go up from pad 39B, the iconic launch pad at the Kennedy Space Center on Monday morning. This is not the trip to the moon, but a test uh, flight for what will be a, a manned uh, mission to the moon in a couple of years. Uh, here's uh, Bill Nelson, former senator, now director of NASA. We have one rocket and one spacecraft that is now in the barn, in the stable, <laughs> that's ready to launch astronauts. Uh, and that is the rocket SLS and the spacecraft Orion. Spacecraft Orion. Uh, the rocket's in the barn, says Director Nelson. The headline on the terminal, NASA Boeing target February 23 for crude Starliner mission. Rick, there was a time when we were arguing uh, during the Obama administration between Bush and Obama about whether it was even worth going back to the moon. Uh, is there is there a purpose beyond scientific exploration, knowing we've already gone back there and, and realizing it could be a way station for other missions. But in terms of national pride, in terms of projecting power, is it time to go back to the moon? I'm a, a, a total buy in on the concept that we can be bigger than ourselves if we shoot for the stars. And I think, you know, President Kennedy really was able to galvanize the country around the space program. And it's been a long time since we heard inspiring words about reaching for the stars. And I think this yeah. is a new cycle for NASA and another opportunity. And by the way, there are lots of reasons to be up there. I mean, there is there's an arms race in space. Uh, there's no question that China is trying to get ahead of us, you know, in its technology in space. We now rely on space for all our communications and our mm -hmm. needs there. But there are also really important things to learn about things like space weather. What happens on the sun affects everything we do on Earth. And so as science evolves on this, uh, our knowledge will expand. And the fact that we can create an outpost on the moon to help learn from that, mm -hmm. I think is spectacular. So I, is there a way for the administration to harness that? I mean, if this, like I tell you right now, if Donald Trump were in the White House, you know, he'd have Trump painted on the side of this sucker. How, how does Joe Biden harness the positivity from the mission? 
I think that uh, Joe Biden needs to embrace it and and call it his own. Uh, yeah. I, I think the idea that we're talking about this Armitage program and all the incredible footage we saw in this giant, you know, rocket that's larger, uh, higher like than the Statue of Liberty, and and how powerful it is without the president having his own imprimatur on it, it's just a missed yeah. opportunity. And instead, he's over in Maryland talking about MAGA. It's just like, I just feel bad. I, I was so excited yesterday. I, I watched Armageddon last night just to get in the space <laughs> mood. I, so how does he get to it, Max? I'm looking at a picture of this thing, and it really, it's incredibly impressive as they're hauling it out to the pad. It does look like a skyscraper. They're sending Kamala Harris down. Should Joe Biden go? I think when this gets closer, as it starts to develop, you will you will certainly see that. I mean, I love that it looks like a Saturn V rocket. I do think that this is an opportunity, independent of politics, to bring people together. I mean, nothing unifies the country like the thought that our best days are ahead of us and that we're still capable of doing incredible, difficult, big things like this. Uh, I'm sure that he will have, have some comment. I just, as has been a constant critique of mine, I wish that he would just be more public and more in the community about these things and willing to explain to people why it matters so much. Mm -hmm. Because this is, every president loves to say, we're going to the moon. And now we have the chance to really do it. Well, it's, I mean, my gosh, it's just part of the lexicon, moonshot. It has its own meaning now. They used it for the cancer program in the Obama administration. Uh, Rick, should he be going down on Monday? You know, look, I mean, there's always the threat that something goes wrong and it, it looks like the president's presence there might have forced people to make decisions to do something huh. that otherwise they wouldn't do. So it's not it's not a free shot. It's not easy. But I do think that 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 as a president of the United States and frankly, the leader of the free world embracing this kind of uh, technology and, and our leadership in it is really important and i i would certainly be a voice inside the white house saying hey you know we've got to be on top of this i've long said it's going to feel real different to people who don't seem to care at all about the space program now when they see a chinese flag on the moon but that's a conversation for another day great talk with rick davis and thanks to max burns for coming back in to be part of our panel on the fastest hour in politics my god it's already over if you showed up late subscribe to the podcast that launch by the way Could be as early as 8.30. That's when the window opens Monday. You know we're going to bring it to you here on Bloomberg. See you back here Monday on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher-level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.